Welcome to Smart in the City, the Babel podcast where we bring together top actors in the smart city arena, sparking dialogues and interactions around the stakeholders and themes most prevalent for today's citizens and tomorrow's generations. I am your host, Tamlin Shimizu, and I hope you will enjoy this episode and gain knowledge and connections to accelerate the change for a better urban life. Smart in the City is brought to you by Babel Smart Cities. We enable processes from research and strategy development to co-creation and implementation. To learn more about us, please visit the Babel platform at babel-smartcities.eu. Urban Innovators Global and Babel Smart Cities are proud to announce the launch of the Urban Innovation Leadership Program, an academic program that is tailored and totally customizable for your organization. If this sparked your interest, you can reach out directly to me, Tamlin at babel-smartcities.eu. You'll find it in the show notes as well for more information. So today I have with me someone you may have heard before on the podcast, but it's been a little while. So only if you're one of the OG listeners and always someone I like to have a chat with quite often on the regular um, about everything to do with cities, especially. So I actually can't really believe that I haven't had him one on one yet on the podcast. So this will be a first. Um, But yeah, here we are. So we are digging into a specific challenge in this episode that we see at Babel cities trying to tackle all of the time. So we want to give a lot more context to that and a lot more expertise with what we're seeing. So, but before we dig in, um, let me first introduce our great guest. So up um, here with me chatting is Alex Schmidt. He's the CEO and founder of Babel Smart Cities. Welcome, Alex. Pleasure being back. Pleasure having you. Um, so I always like to start with a little teaser. Um, and so the teaser I've chosen for you today is drumroll um if you had to describe the smart city market in three emojis which emojis would you choose (laughs) (laughs) okay i'm not a big emoji person so let's oh uh, i beg to differ (laughs) let's see let's see well you're creating your own emojis now right so um uh, the light bulb likely lots of ideas um that are out there so uh i like this one uh the exploding hat Sometimes mm. it's just overwhelming, little, too much information, too much going on. Yeah. yeah. And also just sometimes a little complicated and annoying. It just bursts your yeah. bursts your mind. Um, well, and this upwards looking graph, right? Okay. So it's certainly something that's uh, that's coming. We've seen amazing progress post-COVID, uh, lots of energy, right? So remember back six, seven years, uh, the budgets were like, one or two zeros less, and it's just a market that's that's, that's coming and uh, enjoy every day working in it. Very good choices. Very good choices. Um, okay, so I always like to give our listeners a little bit of intel into who the person is that's actually behind the mic. Um, so tell us, who are you, Alex? Where did you come from, and how did you get here today? <laughs> okay, well, let's uh, let's start at the very beginning. Then. Okay. <laughs> born <laughs> exactly a, a village boy a village boy from bavaria south southeastern germany um well a grandchild to a farmer child to a to a craftsman um always liked um kind of this combination of um generating economic growth and making the world a better place um studied environmental engineering transport um engineering and business administration those are my three degrees um, always trying again to combine economics and uh, and the environment for a, for a better future. Um, then worked at the Fraunhofer Research Society for 
seven years, I think. Um, had a brief stint at the MIT Sensible Cities Lab to, to work on data analytics to understand cities better. Um, then I worked for two years as a um, director for a European institution that I helped um, uh, that I helped found in Barcelona. And now for six and a half years, um, working uh, solely with Babel as the founder, uh, with a great bunch of people to get all these cool solutions that are out there scaled in cities across Europe. Sounds good. So working, living and breathing Babel now. Um, I, I know that there's a lot going on um, with the topic that I want to dive in today. So uh, what the topic that I chose for today is around procurement. And I hope that everyone didn't just turn off their, uh, the, the podcast now that I said procurement, because we're going to try to liven it up and make it more interesting, right? Um, and so what do you think, Alex, is the biggest challenge that we are facing when it comes to procurement today? Oh, it's always hard to see, uh, to see one, but there's def definitely kind of a, um, a distinction between internal and external uh, uh, problems. So I think the main issue is it all takes too long and often the outcome is not uh, good enough, right? So the idea behind it is, ve is very good. So procurement in general is supposed to create a level playing field um, so that cities in the end get the best solution. Um, for, um, or not just cities, actually any uh, operator of uh, critical infrastructure, um, often also used by, uh, by private sector, this, this tool. So it's really about finding the best solution um, on a couple of uh, merits to actually uh, buy and, uh, and implement. So what are the problems? Internally, very often it's about um, who is the final decision maker, right? So it's very complicated to, um, in, in many instances, if you buy especially something innovative, who actually chooses in the end, who is the final one to make the call, which ones are being bought or what also the specifications of such a solution should be. So there's a lot of internal kind of back and forth between the political leadership, the administrative leadership, the procurement um, officers, then also the different um, types of interests, uh, those that want to run the projects, those that um, look long-term, those that should short-term. So that makes it a lot more complicated than it looks from uh, from the outside. And then, then there are the external factors, uh, right? So there is different levels of government. If you're a city, you likely have a regional, a national, and the EU government or some other form of government above you. And the guidelines that you get don't always like one-on-one -on -one match your problem. So it's, it's always hard. A little, there's always a little bit of an uncertainty to uh, choose which pathway to go for what is right, what is wrong. It's not a black and white kind of application area. It's really... Has quite some uh, shades of gray, even if you do it uh, properly right. And then, and then it's only when you touch the actual thing that you want to procure, right? So there is a lots of very unique, innovative, and great solutions out there. Either you don't know about them, or you don't understand them in all in all details. So all these create complexities, create problems, then which you know make the procurement processes longer and often don't generate then the uh, desired outcomes. Absolutely, and. I want to get into this a little bit more. Um, I know we've we found some research that shows that uh, the procurement of innovative urban solutions can take up to or around an average of 22 months. Uh, what factors do you think contribute most to this long duration? You talked already about the central challenges, but what else can you elaborate on there? First of all, it's, it's, a, it's amazing, right? 22 months to procure something. So that means... 
um, until you have signed the contract. That doesn't yet mean it's implemented. So and the that, innovation has already changed, right? Exactly. Innovations are inherently fast. So, <laughs> and that's a really in- interesting element, right? So these these processes were set up um, for uh, when public entities mostly procured long term um, things, right? Things with a long innovation life cycle, roads, buildings, these things that have like fifty years of duration. So once they're out, they're okay. Now, if we try to buy something um, that has a, an innovative hardware solution, it has a technology lifecycle of two years. Uh, software has. You get an update every couple of weeks or at least uh, every six months, right? So these processes just are not fit for purpose in, or these lengths of the process, uh, processes are not fit for purpose for these kind of more innovative solutions where there is a high pace. So I think that from all the uh, other things that we have mentioned, that's the one thing to add is just the world has become faster. Right, so you you cannot write down the specs uh, at one day and then twenty two months later sign a contract with the exact same specs. It just doesn't work. The world has changed uh, a lot. I think that's the core problem um, that's in this uh, in this process is the speed that it's needed to actually keep pace with the innovations out there. And those innovations are great, so don't get me uh, uh, wrong. I don't want this. Uh, anyone to to get this in the wrong way this is actually what we need we actually need to speed up a lot more we only have until 2050 to get our whole continent climate neutral some cities only until 2030 which is six years so you cannot take two years to procure something not even having started implementation yet so it's all the right things and that process there are some improvements uh, to it that the commission has brought along a long way now they just need to be applied and i think there's a lots of good ways uh, forward so i want to keep this all at a very positive end even though as you said, I hope the listeners are still there because procurement in itself is not a very um, hot topic, but it. Um, but it's so important to yeah. talk about, and we need to be talking about it more because it, it is kind of uh, it goes cross dimensional. It's a it's a really a something that all departments of all cities have to deal with, right? Almost. Um, so I know we wanted to keep it on a positive note, but my next question is actually um, that. Uh, Uh, quite negative um, in the sense that we have found that 80% of urban innovation projects do not generate a lasting impact. That's, that's a big number. That's crazy. You can think about all the time and all the energy and all the money that is going down there. And I'm sorry, this, as I said, it's very negative, (laughs) but um, how do we get out of this? How do we turn that 80% into 20%, for example? Like, what, what is this? What is a shift that is needed? First of all, let the number sink in, really, right? Yeah. So that's, that's, you know, there are cities out there in Europe that are now investing a billion euro a year into innovative urban solutions to get them climate neutral. Now, imagine 800 million of that, and that's taxpayers' money, right? Going to waste, that would be, uh, that uh, gives us all a little bit of a, uh, a shiver um uh, there so that's a, a huge uh, a huge problem in its core i think uh, it's an information problem right so in its core um if the right information are available at the right time and the right quality to the right people you can speed up the process um immensely um i think that's that's what will will get us from 80 percent to uh to 20 percent um uh, and then there's still a lot more to be done it has to do with um decision making um, uh, within uh, cities have to do with staying kind of neutral to technology uh, because especially during COVID we did some analysis um, that um, those tenders that were sent out in that time about half of them needed to be pulled back 
before they were even awarded because there was some form of proprietary knowledge or proprietary technology in the tender. So that means only one entity in the end could reply to it. And that's no one did that on purpose or made this kind of a, um, you know, no one wanted this, these uh, time, these processes go to waste. But again, it was just not the knowledge within with the procurement office that this was a proprietary piece of um, technology that they were trying to procure, going back to what it is in its core. It's an information information gap. So as long as we kind of keep everyone that's making these decisions informed on what are good solutions, what are bad solutions, what is out there, what has already happened, right? So many great things are already out there in cities that you can uh, that you can learn from. And on the second part, also kind of keeping it technology neutral. As a city, you don't, you're not interested in a particular supplier or in a particular technology. You're interested in the impact it has. And as long as you keep the kind of procurement on this is what we're trying to achieve, instead of we want uh, we want it to be aluminium uh, based and coated in, in that kind of um, color, it's a lot more likely that you in the end get the outcome. So if you procure outcome, you get outcome. Can you think of an example of a project maybe that has had lasting impact or vice versa in what we were talking about before that really was super speedy, maybe as an example, and how that was accomplished? Well, no, there. Uh, also, what is super speedy in, uh, in these kinds <laughs> before of... Before 22 months? <laughs> no, that is uh, actually one of my favorite examples is a, uh, is a city in uh, southern Germany close to Karlsruhe called, called Ettlingen, where we went through the whole process of defining um, what solves the need within the city, which was um, figuring out um, a new way of getting parcels to private homes, um, to actually having the electric cargo bikes and everything implemented within 12 months. And that project, when it started, didn't even have financing. So that is one of my, my favorite examples um, when, it, when it comes to speed. Also, um, there is just, especially in the innovative world, there is just sometimes not a local supplier. The one uh, I just mentioned in the end, there was a local supplier that could help implement this actually, a combination of two local suppliers. Sometimes we had an, another city, I'm just staying close by there, a little south in, uh, in the Baden area, city of about um, 15,000 inhabitants looking for, a, um, for an autonomous vehicle to drive through the inner city 24-7 um, and uh, and kind of close a circular gap between the bus services. You know, the entity that was responsible for it was for six months looking for someone to actually provide this uh, service locally, regionally. And they had a supplier which cost several hundred thousand uh, euro. Whereas as soon as we started looking across borders, we found it, uh, we found entities that have done this before and could deliver the service in like 25% of the costs, right? And that then also they can deliver it much faster. So sometimes it's just you have to look at entities that have proven that an innovation works also outside um, the regions and in, in Europe, there is actually a lot happening that um, that everyone can learn from. But don't cities, um, to play devil's advocate a little bit, don't cities uh, want to procure locally, for example, like to to foster this uh, within their regions? What what do you say to that? Uh, I think there should always be a locality factor uh, yeah. in it. And that's um, uh, just my private opinion, because it has benefits of having um, a particular 
um, supply and strengthening uh, the local economy. Uh, like that's also particularly helping young companies, startups with your procurement processes. It's a super strong tool also for economic growth. But there's always a limit to this, right? So can you, um, I can always understand like 10, 20, 30% of, you know, kind of locality um, um, benefit. But if in, in this particular example that I just mentioned, we were talking about a factor of six, right? And And that, and even if, uh, that one wasn't chosen, but the other one was chosen. That wasn't one that was. It wouldn't make sense. Exactly. Then. Right. Yeah. So there, there's just, there's just a, a limit uh, to that. And in the end, we all have to, we all have to stay fair um, in this because it's about finding the best solution. The best solution doesn't always have to be one locally that provides benefit that should be part of the assessment. I agree with that, but um, there's limits to, uh, there's limits to that. And especially in the times where we now have tighter budgets um uh with with all our public spending um it just it's just a necessity to spend the taxpayers money efficient why do you think then that cities can't do this internally very efficiently what what are, what are they lacking um do they not have the time do they not have the expertise do they not have the data do they not have the knowledge what what are they lacking to to do this internally well the thing that they keep telling us when uh, when when we ask, we do the the services. There's a lack of personnel. There's lack of capacity, and there's a lack of knowledge, right? Um, and that's not true in in all levels. For everyone. so let's not think there are there are cities that have, you know, that are handling all of these things uh, very well themselves. But I think there's a particular sub market that we are talking about in our world always. That's the one of innovative solutions. Right, mm -hmm. so there. Um, I think every procurement department in every city is good at doing the things that they have done several times before. But now, if you're looking at doing a completely new delivery system for your inner city, or you're doing um, an autonomous vehicle or a new data platform, which is something that you don't have experience um, with, and none of your staff has, because there are maybe a couple of hundred people in Europe in total that have uh, experience in these kinds of uh, areas. Then that's just where it makes sense to get someone to support you, or to kind of inform yourself uh, on uh, on the corresponding you know resources that are available, so you that you do not kind of repeat the mistakes that the other cities that have implemented something like this have already done. Yeah, yeah, makes a lot of sense. So for for our listeners, there's a lot of cities out there that are listening right now. And what like key advice would you give to them who are kind of maybe hesitant to to go into this field of oh these new technologies are a little bit yeah too scary for us or due to the complexities that we were just speaking about of procurement of the procurement process they think it's easier just to stick with the stick with the old maybe first thing I think is don't be afraid. Right, so that's the, that's the that's a core thing. Always go positively in in all of these things. The procurement kind of law and everything around this was built in order to make sure that there is no kind of no one takes advantage uh, of it. So if you as a whatever entity that procures utility company, city, whatever your target is to get the best solution, you are on the right way, right? And then there is always a form of procurement which will provide you with the uh, with the right result, and that depends on on where the technology or where the kind of solution stands there are versions now available since 2016 across 
uh, Europe where you don't even have to know what is the actual product or the actual solution that you want to procure. You rather say, okay, this is the problem. I want to solve it together with the market. And then you develop it together um, uh, with the market. There's a lot of technical terms uh, around this, but there is a lot more available than just, you know, writing a piece of text with a technical description and saying, this is the budget and these are my criteria. And now please, dear market, give me some results on this. So there's a lot more options available. And if you're honestly looking for the best option, then you'll find it. Yeah, very good words there. Um, so I also want to look ahead a bit on on the trends that we see happening. Uh, what trends do you see in the innovation market for smart cities? And what which of these emerging technologies that we see on a daily basis do you think will have the most significant impact in the next decade? Oh, wow, that's a big question. Big questions. <laughs> Predict the future now for us. Now we will record in in a in a few years and we'll see how badly you predicted. Okay, no. good. good. The good thing is no pressure. You're supposed to be wrong in, 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 yeah, these, yeah. Kinds of, in these kinds of questions. So um, I think there's some trends um, uh, that we that we see when it comes to the type of solutions and the area that they solve. Which are, but let me... Let me rather start with something that is becoming more and more common, especially in our world of innovative solutions for for the public sector. And that's there's a combination of different types of fund, right? So the a municipality puts normally from their own budget some money and then, then their own procurement rules and their own rules and their own kind of processes um, are the ones to be applied. Now you see it a lot more often that the regional government or the national government ships in or the EU, there is this huge one trillion uh, budget now available for also with regards to the targets of the Green Deal, where there's a lot of structural funds, horizon uh, funds available to actually progress and then procure um, the right um, uh, the right solutions and test them. Uh, in your market. And they then have their own rules because they come from where the money comes, right? And then mixing up these um, these kinds of processes is often a very complicated uh, process. So that's something where lots of fear comes in. Uh, there's lots of examples out there um, where this has gone very well and lots of examples where you know, then in the end, the money didn't flow to the uh, to the city. So there is experience out there for all of these kinds of things now get the help uh, in in this. And that's certainly something uh, that will help us because paying all of this innovation that we need out of the municipal budgets is absolutely impossible. Now, when it comes to technologies, I'm not going to jump into is hydrogen or um, uh, electricity more likely, where's the electricity uh, coming from? But I, maybe to, to drill this down a little bit is where, um, in what areas do we see the biggest activity yet. So it's historically over the last six years that we've been um, uh, collecting these data. Um, mobility has always been one of the main activity areas, and it was about electrifying fleets, the municipal fleets, or the special vehicles as well. But buses are a big investment areas, the charging stations um, around this, and then of course you have investments into you know um, you know infrastructure uh, around this. This has historically been like. 40%, 35 to 40% of the uh, activities in, in that area. Now, since uh, the Ukraine war, since the invasion, um, especially in Central and uh, Eastern Europe, uh, we've seen a big 
kind of shift of money spending also when it comes to energy efficiency. Local production of um, of electricity, change in heating systems, um, these kinds of things that have gone up. They've always been number two, but they're getting closer um, to the activities that we see in the mobility world. And those are massive investments, right? So there are those investments being done by the municipality or by the public utilities themselves into their own infrastructure, schools, libraries, the office buildings that they own, uh, social housing, and these kinds of things. But there are also elements that you know a municipality can also only support, right? Office buildings, private properties, these kinds of things. And we have seen investment plans of the leading um, uh, cities in Europe that are planning to be climate neutral until 2030, which are, you know, up to 70% of the overall investment that they have to do goes into kind of heating um, and uh, electricity um, when it comes to refurbishment of houses. Yeah, really, really interesting trends we see in, in energy for sure. Uh, what do you see as the, the future of digital side of things? I, I just want to touch on that because everyone's talking about AI. Everyone's talking about this digitalization. It, what, this, there's this system shift in how we're thinking. There's, there's a lot of things going on. So, so can you put that in just a, a couple sentences maybe on how you see that? <laughs> Keeping up with the big questions. So. Yeah. <laughs> and now, so um, I think on the one hand, um, AI or this, um, the capabilities it provides us is just another capability that we are adding you know we are not applying technology just for the sense of finding application areas for it but it, in the end it helps us to improve our services uh, in cities it helps us to do more with less resources right and that's i think the, the core that artificial intelligence um, can give us we can just you know optimize um, resource wise how we deliver um, on services and if it's done right it can also kind of be a democratic tool to if it's done right uh, a democratic tool to kind of make processes um, more efficient and to uh, improve the outcomes of everything. So AI is such a kind of transformative topic that it can, it will influence so many different fields of, of progress, right? So it can uh, influence the amount of um, staff we need for particular services. We can free up capacities for, for other, uh, for other areas. It can re significantly reduce the amount of money and time we have to spend um, somewhere, but it can also improve particular parts of services. You know, it can make um, the arrival of buses more predictable. It can, um, you know, optimize our heating systems uh, more efficiently. So there's a kind of a transversal um, effect that it uh, can have in all the different kind of sectors. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be very interesting to see for all of us um, how this, how this pans out. But the cool thing really is that we see a good bunch of areas of proven application areas in cities in Europe already. Yeah, really interesting times that that, that we're seeing here in that field. I, I wanted to to touch just quickly on also because we we're talking about procurement, but before procurement happens, the money has to come from somewhere. And maybe you can touch on a bit of the different funding and financial models available for cities looking to procure innovative solutions. Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, I think that the, the core of this is there is money available, right? Um, it's not going to fly to you. So you have to, you have to go, and pick it, uh, go and pick it up. But I think one of the core vehicles is the 1 trillion EU budget that 
doesn't stay in Brussels. It's it's divided uh, into a thousand different regions uh, in Europe. There is money available for structural investments, uh, anything that has to do with infrastructure. There is money available for test cases uh, to try uh, something. There's money available for cross-country uh, or uh, cross-regional uh, collaboration. And then we will never cover the whole thing, right? So there's always kind of a co-funding. Um, and, you know, putting in the mix um, the own municipal funds, right? The investment budgets of municipalities need to be safe. They need to be protected because they are necessary for the future, for the next generation. So only cutting there will bring us lots of problems in, in the near and especially in the mid and long term uh, future. So this kind of investment in the future also from the strained city budgets need to be protected. But the combination with external funds, EU, the ones I just named, but similar fundings are available mostly across Europe on the national and regional level. And then there are some very particular uh, funds. So I think we, um, the European Investment Bank is doing an amazing job in, in providing um, kind of uh, funding for also bigger projects uh, where you can get um, several million in kind of appraisal funding. So to plan your projects and then uh, even uh, much larger amounts in loans uh, for feasible uh, projects. In the end, if you consider you know, grants, grants are always a good thing because you don't have to pay them back if you do everything correctly or loans or other kind of debt vehicles. Um, the main thing is that the investment needs to be a viable one. So have a business case. It's something super interesting to talk about business cases in, you know, in, in the public sector. I think there was something 14, 15 years ago when we started that discussion about business cases of urban solutions. We were all like, okay, why this is supposed to be just provide um, uh, public benefits, right? But this, this is a cool thing about a lot of these solutions that we are talking about. They provide both. They provide a positive environmental, social, economic outcome. Um, and uh, they can be um, business-wise um, uh, viable, maybe with a twist, with some grant funding and uh, some loan funding. But in the end, there's a lots of options out there. I think we started, when was it? Four years ago, we said we, we're going to look out into Europe and see how much grants there are available, how many different ones. Um, I was personally thinking there might be like 2,000 or so uh, different ones. Um, our crawler is still active and there's still a couple of them found, but we are now with over 10,000 active grant funding options available. And those are from all different areas. Partly they're on the city level, from city taxes, partly they're on the regional level. Of course, there's lots happening on the national and the EU level. But, you know, we haven't seen a single entity that approached us and said, hey, we need co-funding for this kind of project. Um, and can you find us something? And we had to say no. No, there was always a fund available um, that supports. And that's going back to my first sentence in this. Again, stay positive in this thing because there is enough available. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the last part that I want to bring us to um, in, in the main interview part is our open floor. And that is the chance. Is there something that you didn't get the chance to talk about today that you think everyone needs to know that, about this today? You don't have to take it, but you can. It's just, um, it, it's just um, uh, while we were talking about it, I had, you know, some kind of flashbacks into, uh, into procurement processes that I've done <laughs> over the last fun times, I'm sure. Years. Oh, well, there, I, I hit my nose very hard many times. Um, <laughs> No, and, and it's it's kind of you think that a lot of the processes are they are different processes and there's a lot of difference. But I've handled a, a fund for the German uh, government to to roll out 
um, infrastructure, so charging infrastructure across uh, Germany, uh, um, seven digits uh, in investments. Then, you know, we had these kind of trial projects that we did in, in uh, many cities across Europe. I was directly involved in like, uh, in like 10 cities over, over two years. And now we are supporting a lot of regions and, and cities and utilities or like individually and, and these kinds of things, the kind of learnings, uh, that you, there's always a problem, right? So there's, it's never comes in and it just goes smoothly, uh, through without you, without you having to adopt your mindset or adopt your, uh, your process, but it's in the end, it always works out. And I'm quite honestly, I'm very proud of, uh, of the things that I can see walking down the road or driving my car to a charging station that these, you know, have possible because these processes, in the end, were gone through, right, and not part of the eighty percent that in the end don't provide uh, lasting a lasting impact. So again, that's my I think the core of everything with a positive mindset, with uh, with kind of the the end the attitude to go through this uh, because you are looking for the best solution for the, with the money that you have available. There's always a way. So be open and be positive. Okay, good good words on that. I'm um, also going into our segment, which is also very positive. Shout out. Mention a person, an organization, or a city you think deserves more recognition in the field. I wanted to give you the segment of shout out because I know Babo is working with so many interesting entities and cities and people, organizations, everything. Now is your chance to... Shout out a person, organization, city, whoever of these entities you think deserves more recognition in the field. I know it's hard to choose just one. You can choose two if you like. Okay, okay. Well, then let me choose. Is it okay to choose three? I'll be brief. I'll be brief. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> I allow it. So um, one shout out I want to give is to uh, the region Schwalm, Eder, uh, West, and in, in like that's a, a German um, area where they have done independent of procurement, like tw over 20 years ago, they have decided to kind of pool the resources of five small uh, municipalities, smallish municipalities, altogether there are 30,000 inhabitants, right? So Very small, small <laughs> in other um, words. <laughs> um, to kind of do things that they cannot resource individually together which is a for me we've seen this in in southern ireland um are being done very efficiently as well we're seeing it in northern portugal and i could have shouted out to any of those two uh, uh as well but these these are things it's, it's like um you know the swarm effect you know kind of putting um uh putting resources or grouping resources where you cannot do it individually that's just a, a very strong kind of a way forward for those of us that think we are too small um, by ourselves. Then one of the very uh, curious uh, things, that's must be now, almost 10 years ago, uh, when the city of Munich was procuring uh, their smart lighting uh, system, they didn't get good kind of um, uh, the good quotes for this very particular type of lighting that they wanted it was uh, ancient lighting. They were very good and they were, looked very nice and they really wanted to keep that kind of design. And in the end, they didn't find someone to, uh, to do it at a good price point. So they just decided to do it themselves and, and build, uh, on it from there. They, they chose the suppliers for the things that they uh, didn't want to do themselves, but they also just said, okay, let's, let's get this done, um, uh, ourselves, um, which I found, just uh, an amazing statement uh, in in those regards, and then maybe one more 
person that I want to shout out to, and that's maybe a person that has kind of had an impact on the way I do um, business uh, a lot. That's a former mayor of the city of Eindhoven in the Netherlands, uh, Rob van Geisel, who, when he started um, his um, uh, his work, um, and generally throughout the work, he just he allowed mistakes to be done, right? So that was a thing that he was very loud talking about, right? He said, okay, we will we will do innovative things and there will be things that we will fail with. And there was this clear thing we can fail about this. Not everything, and that's what happened, right? A lot, quite some things didn't uh, didn't work out. And that's uh, that's, of course, a shame. But I've seen so many good things being coming out Maybe not even just for the municipality, but for the region, but also just very smart people that have gone their own way than doing business uh, now in any part of the world, just learning from these kinds of things. And I think generally that had moved that has moved the innovation landscape in urban areas significantly forward. Really, really good one. Good ones to shout out for sure. Now we get to the final question. You know what it is, right? To you, what is a smart city? Well, um, to, to me, what is a smart city? I think um, it's progress in, in general, right? So we want to make it more livable. In the end, it's about uh, helping uh, uh, making a better life for you know the generation to come. And now the tool that we have available that we didn't have available 50 years ago is technology to, to some extent. So doing it the right way, uh, not because it's the only solution uh, that we have, but because it's one of those that can provide the biggest impact. And if we do it right, uh, my daughter and my other future children will have a, a much better kind of quality of life living in our amazing European cities. Great words to end on. So with that, I have to thank you for coming onto the podcast. It's been a pleasure to talk to you about procurement. I never thought I'd say those words. No, <laughs> just kidding. But it was a pleasure to to hear all your insights. Also really interesting projects, of course. So thanks so much for coming on, taking this time. It's a Friday after at 5 p.m. also. So thank you so much for that. And thanks to all of our listeners. Don't forget, you can always create a free account on babel-smartcities.eu. Find out more about smart city projects, solutions, and implementations. Thank you very much. Thanks, Evelyn. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you at the next stop on the journey to a better urban life.